So if you would open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, and who can remember basically uh, what is the theme of this epistle? Suffering, right? A lot of a lot of suffering. But yet with the suffering there's always behind it because it's suffering for Jesus' sake and with the Lord, there's always the hope and there's always the uh, the expectancy of what's to follow. Amen. What's coming afterwards. And God is so faithful, and because He's so faithful, and because He's so real, and we're not worshiping some dumb, dead idol that can't help us, we're worshiping the God that's already saved us. We already belong to Him. He's already done the greatest miracle in the world by taking us from being lost to being saved. And so He's going to see us through all of it. He's going to steer us through the storms and the, the pitfalls and the valleys and the dark nights and the heartaches and all of that. And our own things that we bring upon ourselves and He'll forgive us and the, only, and the other things He leads us through that aren't our doing. It's just a course of life that God leads us through. He's going to bring us through all of it. Okay, He's faithful. And so in the midst of a theme being suffering, but it's suffering with hope and expectancy. So I want to read, we're going to read just a couple of verses tonight. 1 Peter chapter 4. Read 17 and 18 with me. 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. For the time is come. So something, something's happening, okay? Right now, basically saying at the time of writing this. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So it's a question. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinners appear? And so we're going to stop right there. This is kind of a sobering message tonight, but I pray even in the midst of this that there'll be a real hope, okay? A real hope and joy. And this is one thing, you know, we're always talking about it. Remember that, that series we did, uh, I think it was three weeks, on conviction versus condemnation? And how can you tell the difference? Because let's say a preacher preaches the Word of God and and it and you come under this heaviness because he's preaching and you're coming under this heaviness because of your sin. Okay, you're not measuring up to the word of God or what's being preached. That's is that condemnation or conviction? I don't want to go back over all that, but if we're in sin, it's conviction. If if it's just somebody heaping a bunch of heavy things on you that are just to, to make you depressed or, or down. That's condemnation. And the way you can tell the difference, my point was this, the way that you can tell the difference is with the conviction of the Lord, which the Holy Ghost does through the Word of God in our hearts. It's a good thing. It's necessary. Okay? When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He'll reprove the world or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. With the Lord's dealing in our lives with conviction, there's always hope. You know, it's like, Randy, you've messed up really bad. You've been really lazy. You've been really slack in your your time with me or your witness. You haven't shared the gospel with anybody in a long time, and the Lord's convicting me. But He says, "There's hope with me." You know, turn to me right now, right now, this second. Turn to me, not later. And and I'll forgive you, and I'll strengthen you, and I'll put that fresh new fire in you, and I'll put that fresh new uh, touch in your life that sparks you on and moves you on, encourages you on. The Lord always, with the devil bringing condemnation. It's just bam, you're a loser. You know, you're the worst. You're never, you'll never measure up, and it's just heavy. And there's no kind of answer to it. There's no way out of it. God always gives a way out. Okay, 
And so, even in the heaviness of the, the sufferings that these believers were going through and that we go through, because these things are common to us. This is not just these people, this audience that he was writing to. There's always hope with it. Now, it's interesting, this is just a little background, that Peter wrote this epistle about 60 A.D. Does anybody know what happened in 70 A.D.? 70 A.D. is where Titus, the Roman emperor, burnt the city of Jerusalem and burnt the temple down. That was a major thing. You understand what I'm saying? That, that, that's history for us, but if you were living in those days, it would have really been something because it was a great persecution against the Jews and a great persecution against Christians. All right? The Christians got the worst of it. They, they didn't have any kind of refuge other than Jesus. And so he's saying the time has come. So a lot of times, this, like I said, this is written about 10 years before that. So if we're just looking at it even in, that, in those terms, a lot of times the, there's, there's a foreboding or a foreshadowing of troubled times ahead. It's like with the tribulation period, right? That, that's, that's still out in front of us, right? Every one of us, it's out there. It's, we're not going to bypass it. We're, we're going to be raptured and be with the Lord and not go through it. But the point is, that's a troubled time. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, and it's still out there in front, as such as the world has never seen before and is never going to see again. And if those days weren't shortened, you know, even the elect uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be saved. But for the elect's sake, they're saved. I think that's for Israel's sake in, in, that, in that case. It's Jacob's trouble. So the point is that he's, he's foretelling... Uh, this troublesome time's coming. He's saying we're really right here. For the time has come. That's how the, the whole passage starts in verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And so basically he's saying this is not going to be held off any longer. It's coming. We're, we're right at the doorstep of it. Now what's the purpose? We've talked about it a lot. What are, what are the purposes of God's trials and bringing trouble, so to speak, to His church, to His people individually, to families, to Christians, to Christian gatherings and groups. and uh, it, He has a purpose in it. Okay, And think about this. Everybody you know, likes the bright sunny days and things like that. But sometimes God sends like a storm, um, maybe in the wintertime or whatever, and it's cold. And, but he, He'll use that, for example, to snap off some old branches from trees. You know what I mean? To kind of clear some dead limbs out. Or maybe he'll send a, a forest fire and he's doing it to, to burn off all the dead stuff that's underneath and give room for new stuff to grow. It's not pointless is my point. Uh, he allowed, those things happen. There, there are times that nobody wants the flood or nobody wants the, uh, the forest fire or nobody wants the stormy cold day where the branches fall off the trees, but yet those are necessary. Well, think about that for our lives. And so God allows those things to happen in our lives and in our churches, for example. He lets it come. We've talked about the greatest growth the church has ever known has been in those times of persecution. They hunker down, they hunker down, they come together and pray, they fast, they call upon the Lord, they they own up to their Christianity, they they their God brings a separation, right? And there's no different in our day. It is no different. Uh, God wants to bring that separation in our lives that the people of God are the people of God. And come out from among them and be separate. And sometimes He'll use persecution to say, who's going to identify with me in this? Persecution comes and then people run like chickens, okay? 
And then here's the people of God still standing there. They look weak and they look pathetic and they look like they're the, they're the object of scorn of the whole world. And yet that's the ones God wanted right there. In our weakness, He's strong. And so He, he allows trouble sometimes to come to our lives and to churches and to Christianity as a whole um, because even, even the most godly saint could become lazy, right? Totally committed to the Lord, but maybe their Christianity has been on autopilot for a while, so God's going to allow it. He knows. You know, uh, Randy's sleeping. Peter's sleeping. i got to stir him up a little bit. It's not that we've fallen off and are going to hell. It's that we've, we're not pressing on with the Lord. And as long as we're here in this life, we're never, we need to press on with the Lord. And we're human beings and we get weak, and so He stirs us up again. And He'll do it a lot of times through persecution. Amen? Our churches could be filled with people that profess Christ, but deny the power thereof, right? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And for, until there was persecution, everybody just seemed all in one mind. Everything's just wonderful. Singing songs to Jesus and everything else. And then God allows something really serious to where you have to, you have to, your Christianity better be real. You know what I'm saying? And you cling to the Lord and call on the Lord. And you separate from a lot of worldly things and foolishness that we used to be part of. And, and a lot of times God will show who's His and who's not. They're all mixing together in the same worship services. But God will use that uh, tribulation to, to separate that. And it's interesting, He says that judgment begins where? At the house of God. That, in that, in that, doesn't that make sense when you really think about it? You know, we might do it differently. We're going to go judge Sodom and Gomorrah for all the horrible sin. We're going to go judge uh, Nineveh. We're going to go judge Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel's day, you know, for all their sin and idolatry. We're going to judge uh, Nero and the Caesars in, in the New Testament days. And yet God said, no, I'm going to deal with my people if my people are called by my name. That's Old Testament. That's speaking of Israel, but still. You see who he's dealing with? My people. I'm concerned with my people. My people are not living like my people should. They're not trusting me. They've, they've uh, compromised. They've cast me behind their back. They're disobedient to my commandments. They've left their first love in the New Testament, in the churches in, in Asia, right? And he's dealing with his people. He's always going to deal first with his people. Because if he can get hit, the lost are lost. They need Jesus. They're just lost. He's going to judge them. Tribulation period is going to be a great time of judgment, uh, not only for Israel, for a shaking and refining and salvation of Israel, but for judgment on these wicked nations and all the nations that come against Israel and all those that are aligned with the Antichrist and so forth. And so he'll, he'll deal with that. He's going to deal with that. But first, he's dealing with his people. If a bunch of kids are misbehaving on our street right here, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to, I'm not going to be out there for the most part judging and reprimanding and punishing and disciplining other people's kids. That's for their parents to do. And that's the same with the Lord. I'm going to deal with my family and God's going to deal with His people. So it just it makes sense. He says the time has come. Judgment must begin at the house of God. Now remember this, that the judgment of God that begins with His people is never going to destroy us. Never. It's different for the lost man. It's different for a wicked man. They have no place to flee. They have no uh, shelter to hide under the covert of God's wings or His covering like we do. They won't have that. And this is, we're going to look at that contrast tonight. The judgment upon the wicked, the judgment upon the just. 
the, the troublesome times that come to the wicked and that come to the just. And there's quite a contrast. It might look similar in nature. The Lord allows it to rain on the just and the unjust, but the outcomes are greatly different. And even passing through them is greatly different because of Christ being the Lord of one life and not being the Lord of another. I want to read a scripture here. We're going to come back to 1 Peter, but turn to, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, right at the end of that chapter. Whose voice then, speaking about the Lord's, when He spoke on the mountain and in Moses' day and all the people were afraid, whose voice then shook the earth. But now He hath promised, saying, yet once more, that's future, I shall shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Remember, we studied this in our study in Hebrews. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, see the difference with the believers, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So he's saying, look, there's, there's going to be this one more. I would assume that that's tribulation and maybe all the end times thing. Maybe it's all compiled together. Okay? But we're right now just putting along, going through life. Certainly there's persecution. Certainly we see the signs of the times and the end times, but it hasn't unleashed yet. Right? That's going to be after we're raptured. And he's saying the purpose of the shaking is that the, so that the things which cannot be moved or shaken are going to stand and, and remain. Okay, uh, we don't really do it, but people that uh, winnow the wheat, they get a winnowing fan in their hand. They've got all the wheat threshed and it's piled up in a, a tray or whatever. And they, they move that fan over it and it blows off the real light stubble that's not wheat. It's just little pieces of branches in the shell and the husk and all that of the wheat. And, and what's left behind is going to be the heavier grain, the real grain that's useful for food. That's left behind. So this winnowing fan, they blow over a tray of wheat and all that stuff blows away. Well, that's kind of the picture that's here. God's judgment for the just and unjust. We might be partakers of the same judgment, the same event, the same things going on. And yet, we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It just said in Hebrews, we're part of that kingdom. And since I'm part of that kingdom, when the dust settles and all the chaff's blown away, a lot of they called itself Christ, but it wasn't really Christ, and the Lord knew it, and He blew it away. And a lot that never even claimed to be Christ is blown away. And what's standing in the end is that which is built upon the rock which is built upon the, the firm foundation. We can take no credit for it. It's the doing of the Lord. It's where the planting of the Lord in the house of God, in the courts of God. And here we are. And we're standing here and all the storms blew and, and everything else is shaken and gone and removed. And here's what remains. It's a wonderful thing. That's an encouraging thing. And so you can turn back to, uh, to 1 Peter 4. And so they're not too destroy us that the troublesome times that are coming are not to destroy us all right also and here's some of the points that uh, that we need to take into consideration with this he's contrasting the judgment of that's going to come to the just that begins at the house of God with the judgment of the ungodly and the sinners the judgment for the just in the 
the, the hard times and the tribulations and the sorrow and the hurt and the pain is never going to pass from this life to the next. Isn't that that's what we believe from the Word of God, right? In other words, somebody's got cancer right now and they're a Christian and they die and they go be with the Lord. And people prayed and prayed for them to be healed, but they weren't healed. I mean, they're healed ultimately because God brings them home. They're not carrying that cancer with them on. Somebody's going through life and they lost all their friends and loved ones because they gave their life to Jesus. I mean, they don't have a friend of the world besides Jesus. When they die, it's not going to be that way. It's just better to die as, as, uh, live as Christ, to die as gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better, Paul said. You understand the point? None of the trials, even of the Lord, that believers go through will be carried over into the next life. A, a Christian prisoner in North Korea right now who's living off of bugs or whatever he can scrounge up to eat and cold and doesn't have enough clothes to put on, that's not going to pass over to the next life. That is a great hope. It's a great hope, and it's not just wishful thinking and crossing your fingers and hoping. It's a real hope that we have in Jesus. And for an unbeliever, for a lost man, the ungodly and the sinners, what's the difference? Whatever misery they're experiencing now, the cancer, the prison, whatever there, no friends, for different reasons, they're lost and they're going through great tribulations, poverty and everything else. It, they're just going to pass from this misery to a greater misery. They thought they had it bad until this life's over and they're going to go and, and be sentenced and be judged by the Lord, their maker. It's their, their, their judgment's going to, and their misery is going to continue just exponentially worse. So that's a difference, right? It's a great difference. And the Bible says, strive to enter in. Jesus said at the, at the uh, straight gate, straight's the gate, you know, narrows the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Wide, broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there, there be that go in thereat. So it's, a, it's leading to destruction. They thought they had it bad now, but they rejected Christ all their lives. They died without Christ. There's, a com there's coming a day when uh, you know, man's days are numbered and the Lord's opportunity for salvation has, has passed. He's going to be more than kind and more than generous and more than patient because he's not willing that any perish. But every man's going to die. He set a boundary for the length of men's days. And so they die and they go and they enter into destruction. It, it's quite a difference um, between the, the judgment that comes to a, a child of God and, and as I said, ours always has a hope in it. And Peter wants to keep that hope. If for, for an unbeliever, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. They might come under the conviction of the Lord. You might have shared the gospel with a lost relative. And at times they were very moved by it. And you think, man, they're, oh, they're so close, maybe. And they might want to, like, uh, I think it was Felix, you know, trembled when Paul spoke to him about the things of God. He trembled. And yet he said, go away, go away. I'll, I'll, when I have a more convenient time, I'll hear more about this. Well, as far as we know, we never heard anything more about it. There wasn't a convenient time for his life. So he, sh he shoved it to the back of his mind. He buried his conscience, maybe under some wine or something fun that he liked to do or play me some music or something like that. And they're just going to go on and it's not going to get better for them. And they're more responsible because they've heard. 
And the author of this book says, we're not talking about idiots. This is what he says. We're not talking about lost people who just don't know. We're talking about people who have known and rejected. Have known and rejected. Known the truth. Not in their heart of hearts, but at least knew this is the Word of God. This is the saving Gospel of Jesus Christ. And they, they shoved it off and went ahead. And so... Uh, we're getting a chance, I guess, because we're believers, and we have the Word of God to see both. Can, I, can you, you think right now that a lost person, you know lost people, friends that you have, family members, or Joe Blow down the street, a lost person, is he sitting here thinking about this stuff right now? Probably not. Now, if God's dealing with them, praise God, I pray He is. But typically, I don't think that the lost person is sitting around thinking about the judgment of the just and the judgment of the you know, the unjust and so forth. We get to see from the Word of God the end of both. We really are getting to see it both. I thank God that we're only part of one. But we get to see, we know more about the lost man than he knows about himself. And God is letting us be part of that. So there's a couple of things we want to take into consideration. Uh, and this, these are things we've been saved from. So let's look back at this. It says, what shall be the end of, the end of verse 17? of them that obey not the gospel of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinners appear? And so there is uh, almost, this is what we've been saved from. We were ungodly and sinners, right? Even if we were saved at a young age, we were sinners. We're ungodly and sinners. So we were saved from this fate where these lost men are heading now. And it's almost like a phase of rebellion from being just passive to being outright uh, antagonistic towards God. You know, in Psalm 1, the very first psalm, you open and you said, I'm going to read through the psalms. Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There's a progression. An ungodly, or they just ungodly, they don't know the Lord. Okay, then sinners, they're practicing sinners. Okay, and then the scorner or the scoffer is the one who's mocking the things of God. And that's where every sinner is going to, ungodly is a sinner. You know, they're going to progress to that. We've been saved from all that. And, and the, the Bible says that the, the unrighteous man or the sinner, the ungodly man, is treasuring up for himself wrath against the day of wrath at the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Think about that. We're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, prayerfully, where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. And it's laid up for us in heaven. And the Lord's laying up wonderful blessings and treasures for His people in heaven. He's got treasures for us. He's got blessings for us waiting. We're getting the worst of the worst sometimes on this earth a lot of times, okay? But treasured up for us and laid up for us are these wonderful, eternal, precious treasures of God. What is a sinful man laying up? He's going to see the Lord too one day. Not going to see him as friend and Savior and Lord and so forth. He's going to see him as judge. All of the he'll know it all. It'll, he'll get he'll get the picture. I missed it. I missed it. I missed it. Oh God, I missed it. And it will be too late. Okay, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. That's the two appointments, death and the judgment. Okay, and so 
Um, they're treasuring up for themselves wrath. Not just persecution that comes from other mean people in life. You know, lost people have to put up with mean people too. They get falsely accused of things. The lost people have a lot of that. Not as much as a Christian because we have persecution for Christ's sake on top of that. But they're, they're treasuring up for themselves wrath against the day of wrath, the, the wrath of God. God's direct, nothing between, no buffer between God and the sinner. And nobody can stand against that. You know, Jonathan Edwards, and, I, and I've read the sermon, Jonathan Edwards preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And this, the, the historians say that as he was preaching that in the church, that, uh, that people were so, I guess, afraid, a godly fear gripped their hearts, that they were, they were clawing the pews, they were tearing the hymn books apart, they were moved because the, the, the anointing and, and I guess the, the picture that he painted from the Word of God about where sinners were going to end up in the hands of an angry God. The Bible does say he's angry at the wicked every day. He loves them. They can be saved. But, but that is the fact of the matter. And so if, if a person does not obey, and that's what it's talking about in the Scriptures we're reading from First Peter, if they do not obey the gospel of God, they're classed as the ungodly and sinner or even profane. God has put it all upon Jesus. In other words, here's all of humanity, a sea of humanity for all the ages and the dividing line for this and that, the righteous and the ungodly, is not who sinned and who haven't because all have sinned. That's common to all. The dividing line is, is faith in Jesus Christ, God's propitiation, God's provision for salvation and forgiveness of sins, to be part of His family, to be restored and reconciled unto God. Be ye reconciled to God, is what the Word of God says. So it's all placed on Jesus. And then every man beholding yes or no, belief or unbelief. It's really very simple. Okay? So it's all the lost man is just treasuring up for himself and does not even realize it. Wrath. Personally going to be directed back at him from God. Wrath for that, that day of judgment that's coming. And so look at a scripture here. It's not because, y'all, that they, they cannot believe. Don't ever forget this. God didn't create men and say, well, they just can't believe. You know, they believe in evolution. They have a brain this big and they believe in all the, the, the evolutionary theory and they're, they're very scientific and they're this and they're that and they're cultured and whatever. So they can't possibly believe. You think they're smarter than God? We're just little idiots com compared to the Lord. And so he... It's not that a person cannot believe, it's that they will not believe. And that is just an out-and-out -out rejection of Christ. And He is going to hold men accountable for that because what can be known of God, He has revealed. Even people that aren't sitting in church like us right now, we've talked about it before, through nature, through the conscience, through uh, the witness of other people coming into their lives. He has revealed enough of Jesus enough of himself in the heart of people that he created in his image. He's still got his fingerprint on a lost man. You know what I mean? He made him. And he still can deal with that lost man. That lost man is wise in his own conceit. He's wise in his own estimation and refuses to believe. That that's the difference. That's the evil heart, Hebrews says, of unbelief. 
It's not, oh, poor them. They can't believe. I sure wish they could believe. They have an evil heart of unbelief because they could believe. All men can believe. Let's look at John uh, chapter 3. We all know this passage. Here's Jesus dealing with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. Let's just pick up, we'll read 18 through 21. We're saying it's all upon Jesus, right? And man's belief or unbelief in the crucified Savior and the risen Savior. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Condemnation, remember we said it's a legal term. It has to do with the adverse sentence against your life. He that believeth not is condemned already. They already have an adverse sentence against their life from the judge. Forget these worldly judges. Their eternal soul has been judged by their Creator. Okay? He that believeth not is condemned already, even while he's living and breathing, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why? Because he has Not because he committed sins. We've all sinned. And yes, our sin separates us and its wages is death. But the reason the condemnation is upon our lives is because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light, that's Jesus, is come into the world. And men love darkness. That's a choice, right? It's not that they couldn't believe. Men love darkness. They love their sin. And they wanted to stay in it. Love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Again, the difference between the, the just and the unjust is, is the, the one who's able to, to cleanse us and save us. And I've said yes to him. And I believed in him. And a lost man can believe. And I thank God many do. You know, we wouldn't be here if a lost man couldn't believe in Jesus. And there's still lost men getting saved every day. But there are those that are going to persist and they're going to uh, they're going to die in their sin. Okay? They're going to die in their sin. And here's the difference. As we're, even as we're going through the trials, as I said, we have a hope. We have a light at the end of the tunnel. And what hope do... Does a lost man have? He does not have uh, the presence of God to cheer them, cheer him, and guide him through life. I'll mention uh, just just because I think about it from time to time. A persecuted Christian, say in North Korea, in a prison cell, some cold, dark cell, separated from their children, separated from their wife. Maybe uh, they were pastor and t- taken and caught and. Even in his heart of hearts, the, the, the Lord is there, the presence of God to cheer and to guide him. You know that that's true. We believe that that's true. You've experienced it in your life and persecutions that you've gone through. A lost man does not have that. Okay, He doesn't have any promises of God to hang on to. That persecuted Christian does. He can talk about, you know, don't let, he can think about John 14 where it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And he can quote that to himself and believe it. And say, God, I believe it. Help me. You see what I'm saying? He's got promises of God to hang on to. I'm going to have a new body one day that doesn't have my bones broken from some prison guards beating me. 
they can hang on to that and know it and believe it. A lost person does not have that. A lost person does not have uh, even the hope that this will end soon. They'll go from misery in this life and they'll go to an eternal misery in the next with no uh, break, no respite, so to speak. No, no break where he's freed up from that. Um, you know, even if somebody's going to prison, you've got a five-year term and they can start counting down the days. Five-year sentence. But not in hell. Not in the lake of fire. They're just going to go on and on and on. It's going to be miserable. The Bible says the only thing for them, for a lost man, is a certain fearful fearful looking, that's also from Hebrews, for, for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. You don't, I don't even like the way that sounds. You know what I mean? It's a fiery indignation and this fearful looking from God into the heart of the sinner and they can't flee away from it. And God's looking at them, this holy God that loved them and they can't escape it forever. His indignation, His wrath that came because they rejected Christ. Because they rejected the One and they could have been saved the whole time. And so uh, our sufferings are going to be alleviated, so to speak. We're going through a trial right now. Let's say we go through a bigger one starting tomorrow. It will end. And it's going to end in a wonderful way and Christ will be with us all the way through. It is not going to pass from this life to the next. And we we know the Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, um, if if your eye offend thee. And He uses several examples. You know the passage. Pluck it out. Everybody goes, oh, that's... That's gross. That's you know, and I don't think the point is to be gross. I think the point is to show the severity of sin. That there's nothing more severe. There's nothing more detrimental to a human being than sin. It's not poverty. It's not hunger. It's not having one eye instead of two eyes. It's not having being one foot instead of two feet. It's not having one hand instead of two hands. It's sin. If your right eye offend thee, it causes you to stumble. It causes you to persist in sin and keeps you from coming to Christ. Keeps you from walking with the Lord. Pluck it out, he's saying. It's better for you to enter into, we were to enter into life having one eye or one hand or one foot and so forth. Uh, it's better to enter into life having one eye than to enter into to hell basically with two good eyes. He says where the worm, the fire is not quenched, and enter into darkness, and the fire is not quenched, and the worm dieth not. That's a weird description. That's the description he gives. Part of the description of this eternal torment that's coming to lost men. Because think of it on top of this. We know from the other passages, we're not going to, if I was a Christian and had only one eye, I'm going to have two good eyes in heaven. So this not doesn't pass from this life to the next. Anything that keeps you from the Savior, anything that keeps you from confessing your sin to God, and praying the sinner's prayer, so to speak. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Anything is not worth it. Your physical health, both your legs, nothing is worth it. And if those things, and there's no need that those should, things should keep a man for Christ, from Christ, but if those things are keeping you from Christ, deal with them. And deal with them that severely. Because it's that important. And the Lord is not willing that any perish. As much as we feel pity and sorrow for sinful men dropping off in hell every day, the Lord's heart is much larger 
And He died for them. And He sent Jesus His Son to die for them. And He's not willing that any perish, and all come, but all come through repentance. So, uh, let's move on a little bit. In First Peter, and it talks about this, I think it's interesting. And I'm glad, to be honest with you, I'm glad I studied this uh, more. And again, where He says, if, this, if the righteous scarcely be saved, what shall the un, uh, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Scarcely be saved. And I always wondered about what did that really mean. And I, I, I appreciate these men of God in this study that I did. I'm, I, I'm in agreement with this. Um, a, a lot went into our salvation. Kind of behind the scenes. We're just going along and somebody says, maybe our parents or somebody one day said, can I share the Gospel with you? And they tell us about the Lord. And would you like to give your life to Jesus? Yes, I would. And it's all real, okay? And you pray and you give your life to Christ. But a whole lot went into our salvation. And I looked up the word scarcely. If the righteous scarcely be saved. And this made sense to me when I saw the definition. I think of scarcely like barely. The righteous are just barely getting in from the skin of our teeth. And that's not the picture that's given. Because... We're totally secure in Jesus. We're not barely making it in. We're making it by the blood of Jesus, which is more than enough. And we're sealed by the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of promise unto that day. We're sealed and just kept and protected and kept by the Word of God and so forth. Scarcely means with difficulty or much work. Much difficulty or much work. Then it makes more sense. If the righteous came to Christ through much difficulty well what happened there had to be an atonement made for us God in the flesh dying this eternal God from eternity past steps in into a human body and lives a sinlessly perfect life and then dies on a cross and rises again in power to pay the price for the sins of the world and we're not even thinking about that we're just going through our life until somebody hits us with the gospel and the Lord convicts us but a lot went into that. A lot went into it. There's all the fulfilled prophecies. There's all the Word of God because a man is saved through the foolishness of preaching. A lot went into the Word of God and we start studying the Word of God. Even a skeptic starts studying the Word of God and they see these fulfilled prophecies and these messianic prophecies and Jesus fulfilled every one of them. And you start saying, wow, if He's honest, okay, wow. And he starts seeing a lot went into this. Salvation is of the Lord, okay? And so much difficulty, much work, the righteous scarcely be saved. That means we're saved through much difficulty. A lot of labor went into it. Uh, we're given the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to come live inside of us. We're born again. We're born of the Spirit of God. That's something that goes into our salvation, right? Our body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Every believer. He's not just outside anymore trying to get in and convicting me of sin. He's my Lord and Savior. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's literally in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so a lot has gone into our salvation, the teachings of the Scripture, the, the dealing with our conscience through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. A lot went into it. Even if we thought it was just a split thing, I went into church, I gave my life to Christ, it was wonderful. There's much work and much difficulty. Maybe a lot of prayers went up for you from a loss from from a loved one that was you know praying for your soul and so forth. So that does make more sense, right? And so 
all that has been provided to us and there's much difficulty, much labor, I guess is, is the point. And so who has believed our report? It says in Isaiah 53.1, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That All that went into our salvation ought to make us understand this is so great salvation. In other words, it ought to make us burst with thanksgiving. It ought to make us more thankful. What did it take to get me from hell to heaven? What did it take to get me from a stranger and an enemy of God to being part of His his family, His sons, His daughters, the people of God? Join heirs with Jesus Christ. What had to take place to get me from this kingdom and the kingdom of darkness and sin to the kingdom of His dear Son, as it says in Colossians. A lot. I made a profession of faith and believed in my heart and turned to Christ. So did you. But a lot went into it. Now, we ought to be thankful and allow that to do a lot in us. I shouldn't just stay on that same little plateau as I was the day that I gave my life to Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? That ought to have some effect on my life to where I'm entering to heaven with a full reward. I'm going through trials and tribulations, but I'm bringing glory to God and I'm trusting God and I'm growing and I'm more like Jesus and He's using me for His glory. And so a a lost man is just, uh, he's oblivious to all this. He's just oblivious to all this. And God wants him to know it. We were saved at a tremendous cost. So what's going to happen to those who've rejected the operation of the Holy Spirit, the work of God, this atonement that's freely given to them. It's going to be severe. I think that's one of the things this passage is pointing out. Judgment's going to be at the house of God, but if the righteous with much difficulty be saved, what's going to be the end of those that believe not the Gospel of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ? And so these are those that are rejected. They're indifferent. And then... Uh, I like the way the uh, author I've been studying points out these are some unanswered questions. They're fearful unanswered questions in the Scriptures. I want to read them to you. And some are right here in our passage for tonight. Where will they appear? And he says there are, un- there are several unanswered questions in the Bible. And I'm going to give you a few of them. What shall you do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? The Lord's asking His people, Israel, what are you going to do in that day? You've rejected Me. You don't want anything to do with Me. I'm telling you this judgment's coming. What are you going to do in the day of visitation, in the day of desolation? Here's another question, a fearful question. Who could stand before His indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of His anger? Could you? Could I? No, we couldn't. We would shrink up and shrivel away you know, like a little wallflower. It, we're not so high and mighty. Who can, who can stand, it says, before His indignation? Not Pharaoh's, not Antichrist, okay? not the false prophet, not Satan himself. Nobody is going to be able to stand in the fierceness of His anger. How sh- Here's another one. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? These answers aren't given to these questions. They're questions that are meant to penetrate and to think and to get you to step back a second and say, we already know the answer. We're not going to escape. 
if we neglect so great a salvation. We're not going to be able to stand against his fierce indignation. Uh, and then here we, we hear, uh, um, what, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? That's in our passage tonight. Where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Here's, here's some things we know for sure, and we're going to be wrapping this up soon. They will not appear in the clouds when the Lord raptures His church. They will not appear on a white horse, you know, coming with the Lord when He returns again, again to set up His earthly kingdom at the end of the tribulation. They will not appear at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Only the blood washer can enter that. They will not appear on the right hand of the judge. Only the righteous are found there. They will not appear among the blessed multitudes in that golden city of the new Jerusalem because there enters nothing that defiles there wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so uh, we are, we can't perish. We can't perish. The, the troubles that come, I said at the very beginning, they're not meant to destroy us. God is holding us up. We'll die when he wants us to die, but it's not really a death. It's passing from this life to another. And it's going to be way better. And the, Paul says we're, we're bought by the blood. The, the word of God says we're bought by the blood of Jesus. We're more than conquerors. We're troubled, but not distressed. Perplexed, but not despair. Cast down, but not destroyed. Staggering, but not falling off our eternal, into eternal destruction. We're brought safely home by, on the shoulders of our good shepherd. He's going to pack us all the way home. And he's got us. And he's not worried about it. And nothing that's coming up all around him and trying to get us and trying to get him. He's just stepping right over it. And he's going to bring us all the way home. And nothing's going to stop him. It's just a wonderful thing. Amen? And we need, to, we need to be sure of this. And I'm closing with a couple of thoughts here. Be sure that if we're suffering, we're suffering in the will of God. That's important. I mean, that's been stressed through this whole epistle. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him rejoice, right? And so don't suffer as a wrongdoer. Be sure that you're in the will of God. Uh, continue in well-doing and so forth. And uh, persevere in doing well, even if people don't commend you for it. Persevere in doing well. Because we're servants of the Lord. He sees. He recognizes it. Don't expect all men to speak well of you. They're not. All men did not speak well of our Savior and Lord. Okay? Don't expect it. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And so we want to keep our eyes on the Lord. It doesn't matter how you're received by men in that sense. And commit the keeping of your soul to God in well-doing. That's what Jesus did. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He prayed and then he died. He's saying right at the very end, I'm not giving myself over to this, that, or Satan or these wicked people. I'm committing myself to you. And the Bible says we're to commit the keeping of our, keeping of our souls unto the Lord and well-doing. Amen? He's faithful, and so He's going to bring us home all the way. I want to read a, a psalm here, and we'll be closing. He will redeem their souls. Speaking of the righteous, Psalm 72, 14. He will redeem their souls from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in His sight. So there is the picture there of bloodshed or persecution or suffering, right? Blood, precious in the... Uh, is their, their shedding of their blood going to be? But He's going to redeem their souls, the Lord, from deceit and from violence. And precious, that means it's valuable to the Lord. Amen? It's valuable to the Lord. And so nobody's going to pluck us from the Father's hands 
We don't have to be alarmed. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious for anything. Um, just drop down, basically, into the hands of God. Just let yourself go uh, and fall into the hands of God and let Him keep you. Trust Him. Trust every promise that He gives in the Word of God and believe it's for you. And trust Him. And He's going to bring us all the way down. And guess where He's going to set us? Right in His presence. And we'll be glorified together with Him. Is that amazing? We'll be joint heirs with Jesus. And we'll reign and rule and be kings and priests with our God. And it's just going to be amazing, an amazing thing. But we're going to close with that tonight, y'all. Just those two, two verses. And so, Father, we just come before You tonight in Jesus' name. And Lord, uh, a couple of things that... I know that you're impressing upon my heart through this is that to have a tenderness and a concern for people that don't know the Lord, their judgment is going to be severe. We know it better than they know it. We're praying for them and they're not even praying for themselves. We're caring for their souls and they're not even caring for their own souls. God, give us your love and compassion to to pray for the lost and to be witnesses for Christ and to share this gospel to try to bring men to the Lord. And also, Lord, I'm also in the same light. I'm thankful that I see the contrast in that where the ungodly and the sinners, where are they going to appear? is not where we're going to appear as your children. That we're, You said in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we're not appointed to wrath. That's not an appointment for your children. I don't care what preachers say what, we go through trials and tribulations, but we're never appointed to the wrath of God. That's not part of our future. And it makes me very thankful and very hopeful. And I thank you, God, that we have a big light at the end of our tunnel and we can trust you, Father. I pray you'd help us as your people, Lord God. Just encourage us. Just take a few minutes tonight. Y'all just pray to the Lord. Talk to Him. See what He would impress upon your heart and want to sow into your life, into your heart, and into your walk with Him through this message tonight. There's never, never a wasted time in God's house. There's never a wasted sermon or Bible reading or Bible study. Only if we let it be wasted. And I would encourage you, don't waste any of it. Let God deal with you and, and plant it in your heart and change you. And Father, we avail ourselves to Your Lordship and to the work and the sanctifying work, the cleansing work of Your Spirit. We thank You for Your blood that was shed for our sins, God. Thank You, Lord, that we were saved with much labor and much effort. A lot went into our salvation that we have, and we're thankful for that, God. We love You tonight in Jesus' name.